Too cold, huh? I almost froze to death laying here, wet, naked, pretending to be electrocuted. Hey, Coop. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing, boy? Let's go get your ball. Come on. Come on. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? Good, Ryan. How are you? I'm feeling a little spooked, but also a little normal. A little Melbourne cupped. Ooh, that's a local reference. Well, this episode is coming out on the first Tuesday of November. I never remember when Melbourne Cup is. I was looking at my roster for work coming up, and I was like, hey, why have I got Tuesday off? And then I said to Rachel, is there some holiday coming up? Is it the Queen's birthday again, or (laughs) King's birthday? It's like the only public holiday we have near the end of the year. And, well, we have so many in in Victoria in comparison to to New South Wales and other states. But they're all front-loaded. They're all front-loaded. Well, no, we we have the, the, the grand final... That's late. Well, that was a recent edition, which was yeah, like, but, oh, wow, there's something the other rec- than The Cup. recent edition isn't recent for me because it's been here most of the time I know, I've I know. been here. So for me, it means like, hey, we have many late. Either way, this is We've a podcast <laughs> where we talk about holidays in the state of Victoria in Australia. We all know that you listening people out there are Australians deep down in your core. If you're not born here and not raised here and you're not physically here, don't worry, you're one of us because you're listening to me and Bartek talking in our natural Australian accents, but also you're Polish in your heart as well because we're both spitting and we're both Polish. Any interesting facts about Poland happening, Bartek? Oh, I think I thought of one on the way here, but it's completely escaped me. <laughs> it's very chaotic. We do things out of order sometimes. For right. example, hi, Reese. Good evening. Haha, I introduced them before it was time. Now he exists. And Reese is gone. He left. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. See, I write it. <laughs> How dare you? I'm writing this. You're one of those characters okay, that come Reese, alive. Reese, do you have any Polish facts? Yeah, do you um, have any Polish facts? I do, actually. I saw a movie yesterday. Not. Uh, I the- saw two movies yesterday, actually. I saw a movie called Barbarian, but before mm, that. With I Justin saw a- Long. With Justin Long. And, but I saw another movie called Shine. With Jeffrey Rush. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, The Shine with Jeffrey Rush, the Oscar-winning Jeffrey Rush. And the movie is about, obviously, his journey to be to sort of the, the fall and the rise of um, David Hofgott. And his father is Polish. There you go. Uh, and as I talked about in an episode many years ago, there was there's a video of Jeffrey Rush speaking Polish, talking about potatoes. There you go. It all ties together. We're here to talk about a movie that got recommended. Reese, our guest, you recommended a feature film. And it was very tricky because we're recording this right before October ends. And when our episode comes out, it'll be the 1st of November here, but 31st for those up in the north. So it's like, could you recommend us a spooky movie, but also one that you could also justify as like a normal movie recommendation? And you managed to do that. I'll say that. You managed to get a movie where you could easily watch this in October and easily watch this out of October. Like, this is one where if you, Bartek, made the case, this isn't a spooky movie for spooky month, I can nod and go, I agree. But if Reese said it actually is, I would nod and agree too. It's one of those. We are talking about what lies beneath from what year? 2000. 2000. 2000. 2000 and 0. 2000 and 0, mm-hmm. which is an extra little little piece of information from Bartek. Thank you. Uh, r- directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Clark Gregg of uh, Avengers fame, yeah, of yeah. course. We all remember him. He was Coulson. He was the guy that got them enlisted in the Avengers, Bartek. And he got stabbed by Loki, but then he's not actually dead. because w- Was he the guy in that... First Avengers movie, who everyone was like, "Oh, I remember him," but yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, yeah, he existed, I guess." Yeah, he was in like every Iron Man movie up until that point, and then oh, no that's o- why I didn't. And know then him. no other superheroes movies before then. Like he wasn't in Thor, I don't think. I, I mean, who watched Thor? Who can tell? I did. Was he in Thor? Momentarily. Oh, there you go. I oh. saw Thor too. He wasn't in that. Well, he was dead by then. Yeah, well, but not go. actually, because there's a TV series. But 
Uh, people, if you've not seen What Lies Beneath, we recommend that you give it a watch. It is available on Disney Plus, at least for us down here, and it should be for you if you have that available. It is a Fox movie directed by our boy Robert Zemeckis, who did Castaway, which is a film we've covered here mm-hmm. and will be relevant to the yeah, discussion. Yeah, that yes. was interesting. It, it, it made a lot of sense. And I have seen this movie before. When you recommended this, Reese, I looked at it, I looked at the cast, and I said, hmm, I feel like I've seen a movie with Harrison Ford being a prick in a mansion. And I was right. I knew it. I was like, okay, as soon as I started it, images started conjuring to me and recollecting. I'm like, oh, yes, I've seen this on television. You were remembering things from before the car accident. I was remembering things before the car accident. And... Overall, this is a film that has blurred in my memories because there was a slew of Harrison Ford movies like this. There was a slew of them from the 90s to the mid-2000s, it feels like, where it's just mumbling, angry Harrison Ford does things and just insert and repeat. And so this kind of has fallen through the wayside in my memories because he just does an abundance of these. What about you, Bartek? This was pitched forward by our good friend Reese. Did you know this film? And uh, what was your overall expectations going in? Um, No, I didn't know this film. Maybe I've heard the title before in conversation, but no, I was pretty much completely blind to it. Um, As is often the case with films that I watch on streaming services, I just get the little description before the movie begins, but for this one, I forgot what it was, so if there was any information there that would have been too much... It says it's a ghost story about love and betrayal. That's exactly what it said, yeah, and there was basically nothing (laughs) to me and I forgot what it was, so I was kind of completely blind for this, um, which is good because when I was reading up stuff about it afterwards, it seemed like this is one of those kinds of films where people know the twist, if Mm. you've heard of it, so it was a good experience for me. Reese, yes, your history, relationship, and why this? I saw this movie when it came out in the cinema. Um, when it came out on Blockbuster, <gasps> which the is much better. Which was much better, to be honest. It scared the crap out of me. Really? Yeah, I was six when it came out, so it really scared me. Um, but then I did not see it again until recently, actually, and recently. <laughs> Recently, um, he got so angry at that. Um, he got so, he's, no, he's it, lived a it's, life. It's a of common that. occurrence. Yeah, that's me. what I say. It's he's lived a life of Reese being a very easy name to make jokes with. And I watched it again, and it was it was it had the same effect on me. Um, and Rotten Tomatoes also did an article oh. on what lies beneath, and I. I just thought this movie is actually really good. I didn't understand why it got the write-up it did, though. Yeah, that's a rather interesting thing, because this isn't uh, a critically well-received film, nor is it the most beloved audience-wise. It has a following. It has people who praise it, people who love it, and but it's not as vocal, especially with the talent involved. Robert Zemeckis, you've got Michelle Pfeiffer, Harrison Ford. It's a horror film, which was very much kicking off in the late 90s, early 2000s, with such things as Scream, and I know what you did last summer, and Final Destination. There was like a want for these things, but maybe... It was less of a need and want for this slow burn character driven film where it's about ghosts. While Ghost at the time, it was like 13 ghosts, that film, where it's all jump cuts and like shaky cam and woo! And this is before Paranormal Activity, which is also another thing. This is very much a throwback in a lot of ways. When I was watching this, it was all coming fresh to me. What I had known now, because I saw this on television when I was probably like 12. So I was looking at it and I was just going, oh, it's doing this film, this film, this film, this film, this book, this book, this book, this thing, this thing. And, I, and I'm and i far more of a fan of ghost stories in movies. I mentioned this last episode in this the, is a the Haunting really discussion. This in- interesting film to follow up The Haunting with. It was like just sort of the same ideas coming back. Like, oh, Haunted House film. <laughs> uh, Bartek, what did you think of it? I was, I'm curious because you infamously uh, said last episode that you're like a spoiled child who can't get what he <laughs> wants because you didn't like The Shining as much as you could have. And The Haunting, which answered and catered to those complaints you had about The Shining, you also didn't care for as much as you as you could have. Again, you liked both those films, but there were 
things mm. lacking in them. I was looking at this, and I was thinking to myself, well, I'm curious to hear what Bartek has to say, because this, this kind of falls in between these two. Well, gentlemen, I'm sure we're all familiar with Goldilocks and the Three Bears. <laughs> Third time's the charm, because I think it was just right. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, so nice you, one. So you had a good time? I did have a good time. Again, like, when I picked up the film and I saw, okay, two hours, so it's going to be a bit of a long haul, let's go. Um, uh, two hours and ten minutes, please. Two hours and... I thought it was two hours and one minute. It's, it, the, the main point is it's long. Uh, yeah, it's long. <laughs> With a few hundred seconds here or there. Um... Again, I kind of walked into it blind. I didn't know that it was going to be like sort of a ghost story, that it was going to be a sort of, you know, is it supernatural or is it psychological kind of film? So when the film, you know, went, I was pleasantly surprised that it was this type of film. And because I was basing my expectations based on what I was seeing, uh, I didn't really have any of these expectations that kind of fuck with uh, my head or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I, there were actually many points in the film. You weren't, you weren't getting Ryan Johnson, that's what we call it, where he is subverting your expectations <laughs> of what you think you're getting. Yeah, which is interesting because there are very subversive things in this film. Like the plot as it appears at the very beginning ends up being like a red herring and completely dropped and... Mm. It be, and then it becomes this film of like, oh, maybe there is supernatural, like all these little mysteries building up. And um, oh, we should probably save this for this episode, the, the spoiler discussion, because mm. this is a film that kind of hinges on its spoilers. Yeah, it's, being well, it's well known for its spoiler, though, unfortunately, now. That's what I was saying earlier. Like, apparently this is a film where the spoiler is well known and it kind of, you know, hampers people's viewings if they're watching it these days, which is why I think I'm very lucky that I didn't know it. Yeah, I didn't know it when I first saw it either. So it took me by surprise. And we'll get to the the spoilers of it all when it comes to twists. I I want to go back to a moment, the, uh, I guess, creation point of this, which is Robert Zemeckis was making Castaway Mm -hmm. at the same time. And he had time to kill while he waited for Tom Hanks to lose the weight, which is a very prominent part of that film and its production. Yeah. So he just made another movie, and this was the other movie he made. And I find that rather curious because you think to yourself, wow, it takes a lot of time and effort to make a film. But Robert Zemeckis is like, I can just do them one after the other and in between. Like, you would imagine, like, there would be a long road to make this. Yeah. uh, Especially because it's very technical, which is something to praise it for. There's a lot of creative shots, a lot of interesting uses of sets, even though it is a pretty much a bottle film, like you're usually in the house. There is a lot of uh, craftsmanship here. But it is just interesting to note down that this is a film that was made just off the cuff for an industry standard of, oh, well, I've got uh, almost a year free. Oh, let's just make a movie. Uh, This one. And there we are. Yeah, in some circumstances, you might even think like, oh, maybe it's not going to be that good, you know, if you walk in hearing that. Yeah. Uh, So, Reese, what was it like to revisit this episode, uh, revisit this film again? It kind of caught me off guard, to be honest, um, with the amount of surprises that it has. Like, oh, oh, dear. It's the guy from the Avengers who wrote it. That's number mm. one. And then this is just a film that Zemeckis wanted to make because he had time to kill, which is a which is, it, it is an amazing effort to be honest with you because Castaway was a big thing and it took a while to make mm. a lot of rewritings of the script and whatever and production problems and all that. But it turned out to be a great movie overall. But this movie was just smooth sailing mm. for him. So it, it, it's an amazing feat for Zemeckis. Um, I'll admit on the second round of watching this movie, I don't think I paid too much attention to it because it does drag sometimes, mm. sometimes, and it does take a while to get to bits, bits and bobs of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of worth it because, you know, watching the bathroom scene mm. towards the end, it was worth it. Where everything kicks off. Where everything yeah. kicks off and it's like, oh crap, this is the movie I remember. I'm scared now. Like where she presses redial. Yeah, and when how does she? Well, how does she get out of that situation? Basically, mm-hmm. the bathtub. The, the bathtub. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a sort of a same experience, but as an adult now, well, 
is quotation it, marks good dog. Until the, that sequence, it's a very muted film. It's very subdued, quiet, slow. Hitchcockian almost. Hitchcockian, definitely. Some rear window influence happening mm. throughout this. Yeah, I haven't seen rear window, but even I was like, oh, that's rear window. What? Yeah, Harvick seen... hasn't seen many movies. Don't get annoyed now. <laughs> it... He hasn't seen Alien, but he's seen Prometheus. So don't get annoyed now. But he uh... hasn't seen Nightmare on Elm Street, but he's seen the remake. Don't get annoyed now. What? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> he saw it in the cinema. All right, with my boy. Okay, okay. So I'll forgive the Prometheus, and I'll forgive <laughs> well, the Harry Singh took me to it. Uh, all right, <laughs> and I'll forgive um, Nightmare on Elm Street, but you have to watch Rear Window with me. That's there fine. Well, the, on, the only Hitchcock film I've seen is Psycho, and I saw a play of North by Northwest. Wow. You've never, ever seen The 39 Steps. I think we need to- I, oh, oh, Sorry, I've seen Disturbia, so I've basically seen You've never seen Birds. He's never seen The Trouble with Harry. Uh, he's never seen- I've seen Birdemic. Life, he's never seen Lifeboat. So, uh, one of the things- <laughs> That's the one where it's set all on a lifeboat. That's the movie. I would have guessed that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, rope? You never seen Rope? Rope's a good one. Uh, rope's a good one. I've seen ropes in real life. It's got James Stewart. This is kind of a rope. So one of the things that's also another note that is just to go back to Castaway for a second. The people involved in Castaway are like career oriented people because you've got Zemeckis making this. Meanwhile, or roughly around the same time, you got Tom Hanks producing and directing Band of Brothers. Like, no break for these freaks. They're just like, no, I've got to work. I've got to fucking crank it in. Now, I'm going to be the negative one in the room. I really didn't enjoy this film last night when I watched it. I did find it too slow. I found the scares to be very cheap. There were jump scares primarily used instead of building tension more often than not. I will concede once we get to the back half of the film, that's where that stuff really comes into play. And I think the bathtub sequence is masterclass. But the scares or the eeriness that was being built in the first hour and 15 to hour and a half of this film was really relying on quiet, 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 bang, something here. I really hate in films when a jump scare is a phone rings. That's bullshit. I hate that. I hated the jump scare where she's looking through the fence and then uh, the eye on the other side pops up and it's like a CG weird effect. I hated that. I really did not like the neighbor's subplot either because, yes, it's a red herring, but I also kind of wish it wasn't also just a narrative dead end. Like, it just doesn't really mean much and so if you're re-watching this you watch that and you go yeah i remember when it was a red herring that first time but what are we doing what are we doing even if it was a, something as simple as when she's running away at the end she tries to go to the neighbors and they're still not around because that's how they operate that would have been a nice little payoff of like oh you can't rely on them you never can so that was something but i found myself really at a loss and i'm curious to hear what you have to say bartek with this being your first time experience you not knowing the twists and turns Mm -hmm. but you being familiar with the talent involved i had a real struggle with harrison ford in this oh yeah you have michelle pfeiffer giving every human emotion that one can with absolute ease she is fantastic and then you have harrison ford and he's just like yeah, I guess I'll just mumble my lines and blah, blah, blah. And I was curious to hear what you have to say because you're new to this. and But yet you know Harrison Ford. You know how he, how he can be charming and electric, but also like dark and brooding and angry. How did you go with the Harrison, uh, with our cast? Yeah, like you said, Michelle Pfeiffer nailed it. Every emotion there. There's a lot of stretches in this film uh, in terms of scenes where she's basically saying nothing. And even though there were a couple of points where I wasn't getting, like, the message that the film's trying to get across to me, you know, her acting was, it was always very clear where she stood. You might not have understood, you know, the specifics of what she was feeling, but it was all... You felt it. You felt what she was feeling there. Um, In terms of Harrison Ford, like, for most of the film, uh, even though there are, you know, little foreshadowing things towards, you know, his true nature. And as you said, in the back half of the film, really the climax of the film to the ending. He goes crazy. Where he goes, you know, his cards are revealed and he's, his performance really is quite good there. For most of it, I mean, he was 
playing the role in my eyes of, you know, the husband who doesn't understand what his wife's going through. He's not into this whole supernatural thing. He's got work. Yeah, he's got work to do. So it was kind of like a mix of, well, he's playing kind of the normal man, which might be seen as like a sort of thankless role to refer back to our Shining mm. episode with uh, Shelley Duvall. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so for most of it, it was, you know, he's, he's playing this kind of serious character and he's got these little, you know, quirks here and mm. there because it's Harrison Ford playing the role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, okay. Reese, what about you? So Harrison Ford, or the yeah, talent in general. The talent involved, I guess. I don't want to just, I mean, just single out Harrison. I had an issue with Harrison. I have two. Um, not Michelle Pfeiffer, obviously. She was on point. She pretty much carried the film as best as she could because she was doing all made all the major work. In- oh, yeah. Right. Now, ha- first one I have is Harrison. Now, I understand with actors, there are two kinds of actors in my little brain. There's the chameleon mm-hmm. who will change each role he does or she does. And then there's the, um, I'll just play myself. <laughs> That's Harrison. <laughs> um, but it works. It brings in the money. And the... I have to agree with Bartek. It towards the end of the movie, he does get better. His acting is a bit more. It, it it's changed. energetic. It's it's and it's a bit. It, there's more there. There's more. But I think the because of the movie itself, he, it, there's no real opportunity for him to change anything. He's just like pretty much gaslighting her throughout the whole movie. Yes, it's also the film gaslighting. Um, No, no, go on, you finish your thought um, So pretty pedestrian, unfortunately Probably not Harrison Ford's fault But it might be, you never know And your second problem? Zemeckis Oh, the Zemeckis Look, if he cast Tom Hanks in this role (laughs) I really would have liked to have seen it Because he he could play nice and mean I don't know what his style is And it's kind of confusing for, for me, because <laughs> like, I guess his style is special effects. That's his style. It's it's just like with this film, like he had an opportunity, I think, to show off some stuff, but I don't think it it does really come at your face until the end of the movie. You have to wait for the style, which mm. it shouldn't be like that. He should have just been showing it off throughout the whole movie instead of copying off of other people. Yeah, the- there's a bit of a oh, I can borrow that shot. Yeah, I can borrow that. You know, oh, it's like rear window. See what I did there? I've already given you shorthand for what to experience with this because you know how movies work. It's rear window. We're doing rear window, or oh, we're doing gaslight, or we're doing. ABC, even the haunting at points. We're doing a bit of that, or we're doing this. I, I understand that, that criticism. It's a homage film, um, you, a film. Not to say that Zemeckis is a bad director. I love, you know, Back to the Future. I love... Um, Who framed Fli- Roger Rabbit? Who framed Roger Rabbit. Flight. Flight's a mm. great movie. But... Arg. 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 Arg to you, Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis, stop making your fucking... Disney crap with your Pinocchio that's creepy. Oh, yeah. He's not in the good books lately. <laughs> no, he hasn't been since he started doing CG crap with, like, his Uncanny Valley nightmares. Bartek, what was the point you were going to riff off of there? Um, well, Reese, you mentioned uh, later on in the film the climax where Harrison Ford uh, shows off a bit more. In a really interesting way, for me, it still kind of felt the same there. Mm-hmm. It was this really interesting contrast where, yes, he is the villain, he's doing villainous things, but it still really feels like Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I completely agree, especially I, when yeah. he did the jump scare where it's supposed to be scary when he's still alive, when he's, like, reaching out with his bloody hands to the bathtub, but it's, like, you know in your heart there's, like, 50-something-year-old Harrison Ford being told, just wiggle your fingers at the camera. <laughs> and he's very much like, I'll fucking do it for you, Robert, I guess. My issue is... Oh, I was is... thinking more like before like he gets oh, injured. I was just reusing that as an yeah. example of when things are at the highest. Yeah. But uh, for myself, I love Harrison Ford. And I think he's a rather interesting screen presence because he's a guy that never wanted to be an actor. He's very ha- happy being a carpenter. That's what he does. When he did the... No, no, he really is like that. So when, because that's how he started. He yeah. was on film sets doing carpentry. And then uh, I think it was like someone like Francis Ford Coppola was like, hey, do you want to be in this scene in Apocalypse Now? 
Everyone forgets that he's in Apocalypse Now. He's in the very beginning. Yeah, but it's only a moment. Yeah, but yeah, and it's like, come on in. And that's how he got his career. Just come on in. Come on in. And then eventually people are like, hey, this guy's cool. Let's keep bringing him in. And he seems begrudging. There's the film that I'm forgetting the name of, The Witness. That's the film where the pitch is Harrison Ford is an FBI agent or something or other. And he has to look after the witness to a crime who's a little Amish boy. And throughout that film's production, he was being housed in this nice little cottage, but uh, it was a fixer-upper, and he decided that he was going to fix it up. And that's, and, that, and that's what he got out of He literally says, the witness was okay, but I, what I really enjoyed was all the carpentry I got to do during it. <laughs> and that's what I feel like Harrison Ford is like. He's a guy who's a famous Hollywood actor who's like, yeah, cool. It's like every time he talks about Star Wars, it's like he doesn't want to talk about it because it's like, whatever. There's no carpentry in yeah, any of the sets. It's like, oh, whatever, I guess. And that's how there's, I feel about him. Like, he's, he's a magnetic presence. I love him in the Indiana Jones movies. I love him as Han Solo. I love The Fugitive. I think that's a fantastic film. There are so many movies with him as an actor that I genuinely enjoy. And he can even play these roles, like these hardened no-nonsense, even mumbling-the-lines type roles really well. Blade Runner and The Witness and The Fugitive are all great examples of that, what I would call low-energy, low-energy Harrison Ford. But here, I just needed more from him. I wanted to feel like he wanted to be there, the actor. I know the character doesn't want to be there, but there was this element because Michelle Pfeiffer is acting her fucking heart out, and he's just like, barely making any of the words he says like i can't hear you harrison what's that word i almost had to put on the subtitles for him at points because he was just so mumbling (laughs) his lines and just the most laugh joy i got was actually that one time she went to the office late at night and he was there and he's just like and he's like i've had enough of this and he did the harrison ford yelling we all love to hear we all love it when he gets angry and he's just like i've had enough of this you try to sabotage me and my work (laughs) and i'm just laughing because i'm imagining that he has to pretend like harrison has to at least put on the facade that he thinks he's a scientist. <laughs> it made me laugh a lot. But in reality, he wants to build a house. Yeah. And fly <laughs> planes and crash them all the time. Because he keeps crashing his little planes. Oh, dear. Uh, Bartek, I mean, what were some other elements of the film that really hooked you in, really captivated you? And I guess why does this one out of the three that we've done get to uh get the the bartek thumbs up uh well in terms of first viewing like you know it just worked out that way um and also yeah it was a blind thing so i i didn't walk in with any expectations of like oh this is what i'm in the mood for right now in fact i remembered when you were telling me what the recommendation was you basically said what you said at the beginning of this episode like this could be a horror film but it could also not be you know mm-hmm. it's just this kind of thing like that um but yeah, because I had no expectations, like, this film does have a mystery going on, and I always gravitate really well towards mysteries, and, you know, this one was, what is the central thing that is wrong here? Mm. And there are many sort of twists and turns going on in the film, where at first it's like, okay, we're introduced to this daughter character, um, who's very important to our main character's psyche, um, we've got all these elements of, like, ooh, the house is weird, is it the wind? Oh, it might be ghosts, and it takes a little while for you to start thinking that it might be supernatural. Um, again, you've got the whole re-window plot with the neighbor, and it's like, oh, what's going on here? Um, and once you start getting into the idea of, like, oh, is is she actually, you know, crazy? Is there something wrong with her head? Um, it, it kind of tries to play it in... Th- a lot of different possibilities. Mm. And then you, you even have her friend when they do like the seance and like, okay, she's seeing some of the stuff here because for a lot of it, it's like, okay, only she's seeing this stuff. So what is mm. real? What isn't? So you have these little elements in the film where it's like, okay, well, this is definitely happening. Like the glass breaking, obviously yeah. she had to fix it. Just a lot of little elements and wondering where is it all going? And for most of the film, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't suspecting, too much out of Harrison Ford's involvement in the plot. Obviously, there's like little elements here, like he's got his whole thing with his father, his career is a big focus, wondering if that's just going to play into her psyche. or. I, if- I don't mean this either as a joke, but sexual 
stuff is also drive for his character. Like now yes. the daughter's gone, now they can, you know, fuck around. And that's like a huge driving factor, which even becomes more important when you know what the reveal is yes. when it comes to him. Yeah. That's and that's another thing. Like when you do find out the central truth behind all the events, like you look back and it's like, okay, it was all there. Like mm. th- he's introduced like just going crazy on her neck, like kissing, mm. kissing, kissing. Um, you've got the scene where the neighbors are having loud sex, and like he when she, she when Michelle Pfeiffer says like I'm gonna keep the window open, he's like excitedly like opening it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The I scene ends that. with him like going down on her, and yeah, just a lot of little things when you think back on it, it's like okay, it was all leading up to this. Yeah, I all I, those little niggling thoughts I was having that I didn't necessarily you know come mm, up with a theory for, it was all there. It's not a dishonest film when it came to those twists and turns like it's not one where i look back and go oh well, that that's a lie mm. i do think it did push it a little too far at points like even though when it did it amused me like harrison ford being like oh it's cold in this tub huh i mean imagine how it was for me being wet and naked waiting for you to think that i killed myself it's like okay like, <laughs> but i loved how he said it because it's like Harrison Ford turbo mode not giving a fuck and I really loved how he delivered that line but I was like really like did we need to even have that there okay and then it made me think why did we even have that there like as a thing and it's like oh because he's an evil mastermind planner I much preferred that's the moment when it came to him where it pushed it too much for me like even all the crazy hijinks of him keep rising from the dead like a slasher villain I was fine with that that was one of those where I went okay like I get it that you did this elaborate thing to cover up a murder, but now you're making it like he's a super villain type. That I I thought that was over the line, but I did laugh a lot at that. <laughs> uh, Reese, you you said like you know you watched this, it was like it's a good time, but you're aware of these twists and turns in the story. But how was uh, and you even have issues with Zemeckis's direction. So what did succeed for you outside of the the Michelle Pfeiffer performance? Um ooh like for me like it did succeed because like it he did you can tell like certain scenes where he did plan it properly. Mm-hmm. Like bathtub and all and oh. not even just the bathtub the lake like uh-huh. at the end there was nice planning going on there. But still still like it just bugs me like they could have afforded to just cut like a couple of things out of it Mm. like on this on this next round like i nearly fell asleep (laughs) i'm not i'm not gonna lie like it was just the psychologist scenes didn't rivet you no with 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 miles dyson from terminator 2 um no no that's who that was of course it it was it yeah yeah i guess like you know it it you know to begin with, like it was really exciting to start off with, and you would think like it would be the neighbor plot, but then again, yeah, it was a bit disappointing that it would. It did feel a bit disappointing now that it was just cut out, basically. Um, <laughs> but um, it's it's kind of this is a movie that's all worth it for the end game, basically. I think mm. they were just okay. Don't worry, the end game will be good. Don't worry, basically. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of gets. A thumbs up, but yet a, a thumbs down from me. So there, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it, this is sounding. You know how I. This is a recurring thing for me on Pictures Powwow. I always say, like, I think the second viewing will really help it. I think I'm coming at it in this episode. Like the first viewing worked, be the best. worked really well because mm. another thing that I was also thinking was um, ever since we've done Burning, I've brought, brought it up a couple of times. Whenever we've done a film where the film is asking you to reach some conclusions, you know, Mm. like try to work out the mystery. Um, So there were a couple of elements in this film where I thought that the film was trying to make you, the the audience think this thing's like, oh, the neighbor, he he definitely killed the wife because why hasn't he gotten rid of the the shoe on the thing? He Mm. would have surely noticed that, all these little things. And then you get the subversion later on where it's like, no, my wife's fine, she's right here. And yeah, the really funny thing where he like pretends to chuck uh, that got a good laugh out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the and the actress is played by Miranda, Australian actress Miranda Otto, who was in Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. She was uh, I can't remember the character name. Was she Gladriel? No, that was Kate Blanchett, wasn't it? She was somebody in that. Where there's, in <laughs> Return of the King, there's the famous. Sorry to interrupt you in Return of the King because this is the dumbest thing, but I love it. Go for Return it. of the King. It was. Um, the death eat no not death eaters whatever the bad guys it's like <laughs> you no man can kill me 
don't you know that? And she takes her helmet off as like, I am I'm no man, <laughs> and stabs him in the face and he dies. That's that's uh, Miranda Otto, who's recently in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. She's one of the aunts. But you were saying? Um, I think I generally got my point out there, but because, yeah, mystery film that's going through a bunch of different theories, you know, you, the viewer who enjoys mysteries, if that mm. is what you describe yourself as, you you want to try to get ahead of the film. Mm. And earlier, Reese, you mentioned that there were some points where, um, you know, it was a bit slow for you. Yeah. Um, there were a few points for me where I was following along and, again, I was getting the emotion out of the character, but I wasn't quite piecing together what information I was supposed to be getting. So, like, the very first one was... Uh, the scene before she talks to the wife through the fence, where she's like looking through the photo album, mm. I you had to wait to get information on that. One. Yeah, the, the, like you were getting little things, and it's like, okay, is she getting? Is there a reveal happening here that I'm supposed to be getting? Like there was information about the father I saw, the, insurance. Yeah. the photos. Yeah. I think I missed the insurance. It thing. was on the written on the Polaroid, like car insurance, and it had like the number. Right. It was like, right. oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other one I remember was, uh, it was right before she got Harrison Ford to call the police, uh, she opened up the little uh, box and found the necklace. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I understand what the necklace is, but what information am I meant to glean from this? Like, Well, you know what it is now, don't you? Well, I know- It's so that Harrison can see it and he can flip out. That's what it's there for. Like, realistically, he would have no reason to go after her, his wife, because he thinks that she's crazy. But that there is a physical thing where it's like, oh, she found the evidence of my crime. Okay, I'll have to kill her. But I don't understand how it's evidence of the crime. Because it's the girl's necklace who's missing. Oh, like, he thought that she was going to turn it into the police. Yeah, or just now she knows. Because before, she didn't know. But she he already told her that he... Yeah, but, but, the... but this is a premeditated thing. Like, why would he keep this in a box underneath the lakeside when he's already said this? It's showing... It's evidence of his lies. So that's why it's there. For me, that's the reading of... Like, it was like, um, for instance, here's another moment that I thought was very much eye-rolling. Very much, oh, we've got to do this for movie yeah. logic, which is... She's doing the rear window thing. She's watching the husband in the house and she's like freaking out when she can't see him when he's in rooms. And he's like, where would he be? It's like, I don't know, in another room in his fucking house. But there was this moment where he came out with the the little gift basket she made. And it's like, of course, he physically comes outside that she and us, the audience, can see that he doesn't really care. And he throws the flowers and he throws the basket and then he drinks and then walks back (laughs) inside. Like he walked out just so that he could do that. And then he walked back in again, you know, like we all do. We all do that. Like, why wouldn't he just throw it in the bin in his house? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's one of those things where, for me, the the locket thing, the necklace, it's like, I agree, that was a little bit like, okay. In terms, you mentioned, like, that's how you read it. In terms of, like, the reading of what this type of scene would be in a film like this, I did get the sense that, okay, she's found the locket and this is going to lead to more drama. But in my logic of how the scene would have played out by my understanding, Harrison Ford would have come in and said, oh yeah, you probably got that from the lake because that's where the body was kept. So what? It's in a different lake though, isn't it? Because they have the lake at the end of their... Like the bridge and near them? Yeah, just sort of near the house. Yeah, like that lake that she grabbed the the locket from that was at the end of their pier, like in their backyard. But where he dumped her was like across the bridge, down the road a bit, because she drives off at the end and then she crashes off and that's where the car is. Like, it's all near the same body of water, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, the fact that at the end of their pier, he put that there. It's like, also, why did he keep that? Tell me why. Keep what? The locket. Why did he keep that in a little, like, metal thing underneath secure and he has a key for it? Like, why did he do that? I mean, in my head, I just thought that that's where she was keeping it when she was dumped. I've never really thought about that. And it kind of... Is it like a memento for having killed but the person? That doesn't make sense, though. Why would he keep it? Like well, he's killed he... her. I guess I didn't think about where specifically the body was dumped in the water because I just assumed any reference to the water was just their backyard. Yeah, but, but think but about then, when they drive over. But then, the yeah, bridge. the very last scene they have, yeah, the body's right under the bridge. So I guess that confused me too. Mm-hmm. Now that I think of it, it's very, very weird. Like that. My, I had some issues when it came to those logical leaps. 
I also, and this is where Bartek and I may lock horns, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say, Reese, on this too, is <gasps> last episode we did a film called The Haunting, which is a ghostly film without ghosts in it. Liam Neeson? No, the, the 63, uh, 63 version. version. Oh, the better version. Okay. Yes, the good one. Um, and there are no physical ghosts there. It is up to you, but it's heavily implied supernatural is real, but... They're no ghosts. This is a film where it's like, well, it's ghosts. Like, how can you read it any other way when Michelle Pfeiffer's eyes change colour in front of yours? Hmm. And I had a major issue with that. I, I just did not care for the ghost aspect of this at all. That really didn't offer much to me, honestly. The the otherworldly, oh no, she sees her in a mirror. Like, you know, I was actually fine with the mirror scenes, like the steamy mirror and the writing comes down because you could play it off like the Hitchcock thing. Where The first half of the film is also doing the Hitchcock thing of, is this actually a ghost or is this Rebecca? You know, like, is it actually a ghost or is this the film Rebecca or Gaslight or all those older films where it's actually someone fucking with a main character using Supernatural as a, as a front? And then it's like, no, no, there are, there are ghosts. And I, I don't know. I just didn't get anything out of there being an actual ghost presence here. What about you? What did you think, Reese? I've I've actually had to think about this because I, it was a big thing in reading up um, critics about what they had to say about mm. the movie itself. So they said roughly along the, along the same – I can't even speak um, – Roughly what Ryan's just said. Yeah. They don't care too much about there being an actual ghost. It doesn't really connect well. What? So I've thought about, okay, alternatively, what could it have ever been? So it could have been Harrison Ford doing all of this work against his wife to just get rid of her so he can just live his own life or whatever. That's the alternative, and it becomes more, a more Hitchcockian story and a, a thriller, not even a supernatural thriller. But it implied, basically. Yeah. I don't know. I've never really gone into depth if I liked it with a ghost or without a ghost. You've I'm... never gone beneath. <laughs> I've gone plenty of times. Um. Anyway. Um. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you know the uh, the Miles Dyson therapy room was beneath the surface. Yeah, it was a it was a lower one. It was a basement. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I don't, I didn't mind there being a ghost. I, I wasn't disappointed that there was a ghost. But uh, I do, I wouldn't have mind if it was the alternative, just being someone fucking with her. I also wouldn't have minded if you left it vague. Like you could say the aura of this woman is guiding Michelle Pfeiffer to find out that it's Harrison Ford, and then near the end, Harrison Ford is consumed by it and he suffers the same fate where he drowns. But the fact that you do have the constant CGI effects and the jump scare ooga booga, I'm a ghost and I'm real, and Michelle Pfeiffer's eyes changing colour and her, I guess, being possessed, at that point, you're now making me go, okay, what are the rules? And that's not what this film is wanting from you. The film doesn't want... This is not that type of movie. Like with The Haunting, where The Haunting... You're watching it and you go, okay, you understand the overall feeling, but it's not a film where it's making you go, okay, but what are the rules to the ghosts? Like, what can they and can't they do? You're there on that uh, on that guttural, and I mentioned this very much so last last week, vibe. It's a vibe. It's a, it's, it's a feeling. Here, they pushed it too much where now I'm thinking about the logic. Like, what are the ghost rules and why are the filmmakers doing this? Uh, Bartek, how, what do you think? It didn't bother me all that much. Uh, I think maybe part of it was that when I was watching it and things were a bit weird and, you know, unable to be explained, I had magical realism on the mind. So yeah. it's like, oh, you know, maybe there could be something, maybe there could be not. When they did, you know, get to the point where they solidified, like, okay, it is ghosts, I wasn't bothered by it because I guess I wasn't really thinking about the rules because in general, when it comes to this kind of supernatural ghosty type story, generally what you see is enough for mm. me. Like, I, I wasn't thinking like, oh, well, what's, what, what is there? Because you mentioned before you were fine with it when, you know, you saw the ghosts in like the reflections and things Where it's like that. it's kind of that. like still not tangible enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, that gives me the idea that like, okay, clearly it's very limited what the ghost can do because, you know, the ghost never speaks. The ghost never just appears and directly says like, hey, look, 
I know I'm haunting that. I'm not actually haunting you. I'm haunting the other guy, you know. Mm-hmm. This is a case where, like, oh, well, if the ghost could talk, they could just explain it. So clearly there are limitations here. Uh, they can only communicate through, you know, vague means. Um, there is some sort of possession thing going on. But again, that could be Harrison Ford being crazy. Could be other thing. Um, I think there was a reasonable level of hey, the supernatural is kind of unknowable and you're only seeing these few things. So if there are set rules, then, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to see. It's not like the other Zemeckis film, Back to the Future, where you have very clear rules about time travel. And so even they don't make sense, so, and, but you have so much yeah, fun, you don't care. Yeah, so, but in those films, like, you can have a whole discussion about them. And I remember when we did um, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, we okay. had a big discussion about the rules there. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not like Back to the Future rules. It's like this. It's like I've, that. I've never seen Prince of Persia, Sand of Times. I'm curious about this movie because it took three people to edit this movie. Yeah. Um, w- <laughs> well, you can listen to our episode where uh, we talk about no, it with okay. our good friend it's Stefan. A, yeah, Stefan's in it. Oh, okay. He did um, nothing but video game movies with us for a while. No, no, no. no. De- desert films. Oh, desert too. films. Oh, <laughs> desert films. Okay. But uh, yeah. does there need to be rules with ghosts? Sometimes, yes. I feel like if you watch a film like Poltergeist, you need rules. Like, Poltergeist gives you rules. It's like, here's the ghost expert, here they come in, they tell you, bam, 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 bam. Well, I, I guess the question, the counter question to that, Reese, is can a ghost literally do anything? Yes or no? Yeah, like, we, 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 in, you, your, well, in I, your ideal film, can a ghost literally do anything? Yeah, you need, do you need limitations or none? Because you have to make that as a creative choice, you have to make that. Or else you're in this realm where there are moments where I'm thinking, okay, this is reacting to how many people think about ghosts as, like, this non-tangible thing, but you have an overall feeling, and, like, there's nothing else that can explain what happened there other than perhaps the supernatural. But then there are the moments where it's like, you want to say, Bartek, like, oh, perhaps it's Harrison Ford going crazy in the possession scenes, but the camera betrays that because it shows us, the viewer, her eyes change colour. Yeah. That's where you screw up there. That's where you screw up where it's like, okay... Now you're introducing that you're possessed. And then The Exorcist is another great example of the supernatural way it has rules. It tells you, here's how this works. Here's how the Catholic Church work in relation to it. Not every ghost film or supernatural films need rules. The Haunting, which we just covered, didn't really have any. But it had a mood. It had a continuity and established mood. Like how David Lynch movies have that. Twin Peaks has all this lore. None of it actually matters. The overall presentation and feeling it gives you is what matters. Here, it had that in in, in squirts and spurts, but then it pushed it too much for me. Like, the CGI dead corpse then reanimating into her and grabbing Harrison Ford and dragging him. I'm like, no, you, you don't. You don't need that. Like, that was too much for, for my liking. Or if you did, you should have left that to the end. But I don't know. It was just one of those things where I do struggle with, did it being actually ghosts serve this story rather than it being something more magical realism or something a little bit lighter affair when it came to that well, supernatural? And, and I guess the next point there would be, that there were still, even after it was revealed that it is a ghost, there were still kind of twists to what the ghost was doing. So that goes back to the whole thing of like, ooh, it, it's just generally haunting the house, or ooh, it's just generally preying on uh, our female lead, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, but then we had the reveal that like, no, it was actually on her side all along. It was yeah. going against Norman. So it like ties into the other mysteries of the film. And I like that. Like another thing that I really liked is there are a lot of unspoken things, implied history and behavioral patterns that are really, really well delivered, such as the woman that has been killed is a blonde you know, and it's very similar to Michelle Pfeiffer, but also looks very similar to the daughter that's just gone away. And there's that moment where he's talking to Michelle Pfeiffer. She's about to drown in the bathtub about the daughter. And you just get this feeling without it being explicitly said that, like, you get this feeling of, oh, is he going to go after the daughter next? Like, is he attracted to the daughter? How predatory is this guy? And that is one of those things where you may disagree with me, but there's enough 
stuff within the film when it comes to those unspoken things, those implications or subtext, where I can get that reading from it, and maybe you didn't get that reading, or you disagree. I, I really like that aspect of this, and I wish that was more overwhelming or more present throughout. Like, when one of my favorite scenes was when Michelle Pfeiffer talked to the mother of the missing girl. I really like that scene and how lived in the scene was, such as the set in that scene was the stark opposite of the set we've been in the most of the film, where we're in this lavish house with giant space. You cut to this woman, she's in a small, cramped little area where her TV's in the corner, and it's in a like a wardrobe thing that has like a thing that pulls out so it's on an angle. I love that. That yeah. was one of my favorite things. It felt like a very normal location compared to like, yeah, the lavish mansion or like the science office and things like that. Right. Yeah. Also, it had a cat, guys. Uh, I had a cat. Great. It was a great cat. It's How the hell did they afford that house? Well, <laughs> the there's hell? actually a backstory <laughs> I find in movies. Though. I thought it was going to say, how do they afford the cat? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was referring to the film itself. Like, well, but there's actually but no, a story like, about the house. Do you- just an off-topic thing. Do you find with certain films and with certain characters, their jobs? Um, I mean, for instance, he is a he's a high up. Um, it was a doctor, a scientist. Sorry, mm-hmm. and she's a former cellist. Yeah. How the hell do they afford a house that good? Well, I they mean, try for- to justify it in the dinner scene where she meets up with an old friend and the other guy who's, like, I guess, a colleague of his really talks up about how he's very well-to-do because he's got this position. I thought, wasn't there a throwaway line about how the, he, and the Harrison father, Ford's and he father inherited already- it from the father and that's why the, he jokes that it's a father haunting the house because he doesn't want us messing with it, which is another little hint that maybe Harrison Ford is possibly doing this to fuck with Michelle Pfeiffer. It was one of those things. So it's an in, in, it's an inherited house. Right. That's the answer. Now you're wondering, how did the father afford this house? Well, there's enough leeway where we don't know. All we know is he was a very prestigious man that made a great influence. So yeah, by in, that alone, you can buy yeah, it. In terms of the vibe... I mean, you can't buy the house, you're poor, but you can buy the, <laughs> the narrative conceit of the house. The, the fact but, that this posthumous character was such a big deal like lends itself to the idea, like, okay, he probably had a lot of money. So yeah. Just, just, yeah. Still, it, it just occurs to me when I watch a movie, I'm very sort of, you know, judgmental of like, how the hell can certain people with certain jobs afford like these lavish production designed houses, basically? Right. It just, it doesn't match for me. Well, sometimes. did you see the house next door? It was a fucking slum. Not really. It, <laughs> it was, was it dirty. Was a bi- it was a big house. <laughs> no, no, it was a you, big house. Yeah, but you know it's a slum because everything was dirty. Like, everything was covered in dirt. Like, yeah, you could just spray it. It would look nice, but they, like, they put movie dirt all over this house. It was a bit too much for me, that house, actually. <laughs> it was a bit over the top uh, in terms of design for that house. I, I mean, mean it, like- it, it, that house would still have a pretty nice, like, pond view. Oh, yeah. But Bartek, you know it's a poorer house with poorer people. Not only because they yell at each other and there's a bloody shoe that... Why was that there? Could you give me that explanation? Her bloody shoe? Oh, well, that, that wasn't blood on the shoe. That was a little bit of, like, red herring skin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know that they're bad because he's got long hair and a bit of a beard. And they have a house that's covered in literal dirt. And you did, of course, mention he's very dismissive of the basket. Oh, yeah. man, you can't do that. The bathtub sequence is stellar. I'll say that. Like... We've only just kept saying it's very good, but it is one of those where it it really is very good. Mm. It's just, it is suspense and terror and a method of dying that would be very sad and horrible to happen to you because it's just like the bathtub. You're in the bathtub and it just goes, the water goes over your head. It made me think of this as a well-executed version of one of the deaths in Wish Upon, (laughs) (laughs) which is a movie where a girl has a Chinese wish box and every time she uses it, a person dies and there's a scene where her her old uncle dies in the bathtub and it's really funny. Have you seen Wish Upon? I have not. It's a really so bad, it's good film. It's funny. (laughs) It's got Joey King in it. (laughs) Uh, Anything else? Well, Eyes Beneath. With that bathtub scene, there was also that really interesting contrast, like when the dog comes in, it's like this symbol of wholesomeness in the film next to this really horrifying thing happening. There's just so much going on there. Did you think the dog was going to die? Because I actually wrote in my note, when they first introduced the dog, I said, dead. (laughs) Because it's a horror movie. How bleak. Or it's a movie with a dog in it. You go, oh, it's going to... 
they're going to kill the dog. But they never did. I was very proud of them. Did you ever think that? It does vanish after that scene, so we don't know. But, That's like before but I guess it... she runs away. Oh, I thought it was barking. We heard it barking when she got in the car to get on the yacht with the yacht on the back, because that clued her in that Harrison Ford could have gone on the back of it. That's okay. how she got clued in. With also seeing the screen door slamming, she also heard the dog barking furiously. Maybe. I guess I just don't remember. I think that's more of a sounds thing. Mm. Anything from you, Reese? Anything you want to touch upon? Um, I think I've gotten all my anger out. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> nah. Oh, the reveal that Reese hated it. No, I didn't hate it. I, d- I didn't it. hate it. I didn't, nor did I really like it. I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of safely comfortable you, in the middle. You, you did mention it. that. Uh, it was still somewhat effective, like the scares. Yeah, it, look, it was. It, it, the scares were still effective. I mean, I you, I'm a big sucker for big, um, cheap thrills or even good scares, nonetheless. Like when Harrison Ford rose from the dead after Actually, he n- fell down the stairs. Not that one. Uh the garden, <clears throat> the garden fence scene. Mm. That 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 uh, the that, eyeball. The eyeball. Yeah. Okay. I, I I hated that. So I, much. I hated that. <laughs> I saw it coming like, okay, there's going to be a jump scare here, but it only kind of worked because in my head, I thought the thing would come from the right and it came from the left. <laughs> it does that. It just came from the wrong end. And the, biggest, like- the biggest jump scare I had was scenes where no, none happened, but you thought they would. And then it's like, oh, I guess it didn't happen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'll say, I'll, I'll say this, like, obviously... In, like, the decade and onwards after this film, jump scares in horror films, like, became really, really big recurring thing. It didn't feel as cheesy as a lot of those ones. I'll agree to that. I'll agree too. Yeah. I just looked up Michelle Pfeiffer. Some of them were very predictable though. Michelle Pfeiffer is married to, in real life, David A. Kelly, who has written and created some of, like, like Boston Legal, Big Little Lies, even Doogie Howser, MD, which gave us, of course, everybody's favorite, Neil Patrick Harris. I had a question for you to research. Could you look up Harrison- could you look up Harrison Ford's career in the lead up to What Lies Beneath? Because I'm actually, I didn't research this before. And I'm just curious now because this is post Indy Jones and post Fugitive. Well, well, it's also pre Indy Jones when it comes to. Well, we're sort of in the middle. We're in the middle. But I'm just curious is, is, was this considered a slump? In- well, this is his first horror movie. Uh, Like I said, he did a glut of films around this time that just blurred together for me. Hence, I I, I forgot about this. So, looking back at his career... So, just going 1997 onwards, we had Air Force One, which was a big film for the time. Has not aged well, but we'll just say (laughs) that. Uh... No, it was like Random Hearts is a film that I've never oh, heard of. I've and seen that. Six Days, Seven Nights was the lead up. So the last big thing he had before was Air Force One and the remake of Sabrina, which I don't like at all. And like I said, a bunch of others like Clear and Present Danger, Jimmy Hollywood as himself, The, Fug- the Fugitive would have been the last, what I would say is great film before this, and that was almost a decade before. Uh, so, so it wasn't a slump. It was like it was more so commercial success <laughs> for Harrison Ford in that, because Six Days and Seven Nights was a massive commercial success for him as well as Air Force well, One. Well, no, I think it was a slump because there wasn't much carpentry going on in those. But- <laughs> <laughs> and then after this, he did a bunch of crap: Hollywood Homicide. Uh, Firewall, Jimmy I, Kimmel and Ben Affleck. I'm fucking Ben Affleck. Actually, to uh, be fair, Hollywood Homicide has more angry Harrison Ford. Oh, than yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, that is all we've got. Bartek, you're recommending the, a film. There, oh, yes. there was one funny thing Bartek's that finger. Sort of happened it's in... really funny because his finger keeps going up. He keeps pointing up like... Eh, <laughs> my eh, turn. <laughs> my turn, my turn. Me, me, me. Funny, funny. There was one funny thing that happened in the meta sense in my viewing of the film. When we saw the title at the beginning... <laughs> Did the wibbly wobbly like it's in the water? It made yeah. me laugh a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally said to myself like, oh, it's it's lady in the water. And then at the end of the film, I'm like, oh, that was a really apt thing to say, Bartek. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed at his own thing. He, he was proud of himself. Uh, another film that has ghosts that has rules is uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense that has very clearly defined rules. 
And that's how the twist works. We need um, to do a ghost film where it's just a guy with like a sheet over their head. A ghost there's actually sto- a film. There's, there's film. A ghost, David Lowry. A ghost story starring Casey Affleck, your favourite actor from Manchester by the Sea, where he plays a ghost because he dies, and it's literally him with a sheet over his head. It's actually him. And there's no joke, a one-shot scene of, I do believe, Rooney Mara, who is an actress I've had issues with on this podcast. Same with her sister, Kate. It's an uninterrupted scene of her eating an entire pie because she's grieving for him. So it's like eight minutes long so there's of a- this actress sitting down and eating a whole Wait, pie. Are you telling me that this is a film that has an eight minute eating pie scene and ghost with like sheets? It's actually, a good, it's actually a good movie. Like the thing is, it's actually a film. genuinely great film. It's also got like a very old school aspect ratio. It's very good. We just need some really cute ghosts with like sheets with holes in the uh, eyes. Are you a it fan of that- Casey Affleck? Are you a fan of Casey Affleck? He loved Manchester by the Sea. Did I, you like? I fell asleep. <laughs> I, the, uh, this is. I've, I've told Ryan before. This was my experience of Manchester by the Sea. Oh, Phil. Oh, oh. oh dri- driving scene. <laughs> Wait, what's what's Matthew Roderick doing here? <laughs> what's oh, the film's over. What's this about a fire? <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about with the fire. You spoiled that for me. I don't remember anything about it. Seriously, it was a day where I did the podcast and I was really tired and I went home and I had to go watch the film with my mum and grandmother. Uh, Bartek, (laughs) talk about films. Are you recommending Manchester by the Sea for the next episode? Is it a Hollywood film? Yes. Then no. Oh, sorry. Uh, It's a Manchester film. Uh, No, what is your recommendation? (laughs) Bartek recommending a foreign film one time and then a Hollywood one the next and then a foreign one the next. So what is your foreign film of choice? So... Uh, two years ago, someone that we know said, oh, I need to, you know, watch more of this type of film. I need to, you know, get around to getting through all of them. And they haven't been doing a good job of that. Is it they, me? They've been, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys exactly who it is in a second. <laughs> they've been slacking on it. Is it you? They've only gone through like two or three of them. It's been two years and I think it might be time to recommend this one film so that that person out there, Bartek Kaspshisha, <laughs> get off your ass and continue watching those fucking Ghibli films. Oh, we're doing oh. it too much. Oh, good. Well so done. it's a film I haven't seen, Bartek. <laughs> yeah. But the next films on my list, because I've seen Laputa, aka the first Ghibli film, uh, the next films, there were two released in 83. And I'm going for the one that was released a few months earlier. That was Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, that's a co-production, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. not directed by Miyazaki. I can't remember if it's a proper Ghibli film. I'd have to. It was on the Wikipedia page, so. Okay. <laughs> but it's yeah, that can be talked about. You recommended a fun film. I don't know anything about it. Okay. All I know oh, about. Okay. Oh shit. <laughs> Okay. Shit. The other option is My Neighbor Totoro, but I know you're not into that one, so... <laughs> no, no, that one I don't care for as much. I actually thought you were going to recommend the pig one, Porco, Porco Rosso. Rosso. That was yeah. a little further down the list. Okay, so Grave of the Fireflies, a <laughs> film. We'll be watching, of course, the original Japanese. Yes. I don't even know if there's a, a, a dub for that one, actually. Oh, okay. I'm not too... There might be, but... And we'll investigate, but I'm sure it's a, a co-production, but we'll have to see. Either way, Grave of the Fireflies, make sure to give that a watch. In the meantime, Reese, you'll be watching it. I, I So you can hear our- I have not seen Grave of the Fireflies in go. a long time. So there you go. It gives you a reason to give it a watch. Yeah. Uh, so that is what we've got for you, Reese. A pleasure to have you back in the room that you've been in before, talked into this microphone yes, before. Yes, I, I do apologize for not remembering that I or, that I even hit my head during Freddy Got Fingered. Everyone, you may not have had the context for what that meant because we didn't <laughs> have that Because it was before recorded, the podcast started But Reese did not remember this recording studio, which he's been in many times. And uh, last time he was here, we did uh, Freddy Got Fingered, and he hit his head on the wall laughing so hard at the Freddy Got Fingered jokes. Reese's favourite joke was when Freddy licked the exposed bone. That was Reese's favourite one. (laughs) (laughs) You see? He's laughing about it now. Watch your head, Reese. You're literally throwing it back. I I can't believe Reese doesn't remember recording Bored Silly. Ah, so that is... Oh, uh, no, no. 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 So that is all we've got. You can find us on your social media of choice, Facebook and Twitter under Spit and Polish Presents. We post on there. You can interact with us. You can also email us directly at... spitandpolished at gmail.com. 
There we go. So I'm spooked out, everybody. We're tapped out of spooks. Bartek's chosen a, 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 an animated film, so the spook town is over. Thank you for joining the spooksy, spooky month and the bleed over of before and after, because you recommended Cube before October started, and this is someone recommending a ghostly film for us after October. So I'm going extra spooks because I'm probably going to be in charge of doing the social media stuff for this episode. I'm going to make a playlist on YouTube that's called Melbourne Cup Day 2022 and just put this in it. Okay, I like that. <laughs> I like that. That's cute. That's yeah. nice. We'll see if he remembers to do that. Bartek says he'll do many things, and then he forgets. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's fine. Hey, Reese. Yes. Do you like Terry Bradshaw? What? Terry Bradshaw from Father Figures. Oh, yes. Because we recorded that in this you, room. We did. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> I do. I, look. To be fair, I remember being in this room, just not this 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 new layout. Of I the remember room. very viscerally. It was in this room where Reese said the famous <laughs> phrase, "If Jesus was Greek." That was and, one of the first ones. And we in this room. that's why I'll never <laughs> want to leave this room again. Every Reese, everything after Land of the Dead was in this room. Oh, he, that, that was, was for Land Land of the Dead. It was for Land of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. where you also didn't know who Simpson and Duffy were. What? The donkey and what the donkey? guy, Simpson what? Homer, and Homer and Duffman. Oh, okay. What donkey? In World War One, there was a guy who had this a donkey. This is the greatest hits. That, <laughs> <laughs> I'm reteaching you. He was a medical donkey where he had medical equipment. Oh, on, oh. And he was okay, saving right. people in the trenches, and the name was Simpson and Duffy. And you're like, oh, I don't know that. Is it Duffman? <laughs> is it the Simpsons? Oh, dude, Brian. And then, I and then it was the same. And then it was the same episode where you also said. Like, you didn't realize the word bub. You're like, what, baby? <laughs> and then I'm like, no. What? Bub, bub is in the phrase like Wolverine would say. And you go, oh, does he say that? I'm like, yeah. Haven't you ever read the comics? And you're like, I've read Killing Joke. And I'm like, what? And you're like, what? You asked if I read comics. And I, <laughs> and I almost wanted to die. And I did. And you've been listening to a ghost speaking this whole time, Dude, listening people. It, Ryan, you've just raised his bloodlust. He's going to die you. You're going to die him, right, Reese? Yeah. You're going to die, Reese? Him? Die, Reese? That's an old one, too. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Uh, you, you guys remember the greatest hits more than I do. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> Captain at the Dinner Table. <laughs> what? Captain what? Captain at the Dinner Table. That was way back in Meet Dave. That was 2016 beginning. Reese, I'll end this off by saying, hello, Old Navy. That was also a Meet Dave reference. I remember that one. Yep.